the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I've had my feelings hurt. I've had people say things that are untrue and unkind. I've had Sundays where I thought, hello, I see dead people. And wondering if anybody's listening and kind of wanting to drive over where and just, just wanting to quit. But I haven't quit by God's grace. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. That beat, I don't know about you. We've all had those times in our lives where we felt like God was asking us to do something. He's calling us to go somewhere. He's telling us to say something. And we're like, seriously? You want me to do what? We're going to begin to study one of the most familiar stories in all of the scriptures. The story of Jonah, or as it's been called, Jonah and the whale, or Jonah and the big fish. But I want to remind you of something. Just like every other story in all of Scripture, this story has a very clear central character. The central character is not the big fish, even though the great fish is mentioned four different times in this book that's four chapters long. The central character is not the Ninevites or the people that live in the city of Nineveh where Jonah is told to go, although Nineveh is mentioned nine different times in these four short chapters. The central character is not even Jonah, even though the book bears his name and he is mentioned 18 times. The central character of this book, like any part of Scripture, is in fact God himself. The Bible is his story. It's God's revealed love and presence to each of us. It's all about him. The people that we get to know, the names we become familiar with, they are just there to point us to him. And his name is mentioned 38 times in this little book that we call Jonah. Last summer, we took an extended look at the minor prophets, and so we overviewed this book. But we said of this the same thing we've said of all the minor prophets. They may have been minor prophets, but they had a major message. And this message was one of God's love and of God's word and of God's will and of God's missionary heart. Unlike few places in Scripture, we see a clear depiction of the way that God overwhelmingly loves all of the world. You know the general overview of the story of Jonah. 
God shows up in Jonah's life. We don't know how this occurs, if it's by text message, email, phone call, or what. But he shows up and tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. We'll discuss that more in a minute. But what we know is Jonah said, and no thanks. He thumbed his nose and he literally went in the opposite direction. He opened the classified ads and saw that there was a place that had crystal clear beaches that was just waiting for him. So he hopped onto a ship and he went to a place he thought called Tarshish. You know what happened after then? God sent a great storm. The storm caused people to be afraid. They threw Jonah overboard. A big fish ate Jonah. He hung out there for three days and three nights. The fish spat him out on the beach. Then Jonah said, okay, God, I think I get the picture. He obeyed God. And he goes to Nineveh. I can't wait to unpack the details of this over the next several weeks. It's an incredible story. But it's primarily a story of rebellion, a story of repentance, a story of restoration that results into a story of revival. In other words, it's something all of us can relate to, right? Because we know what it's like to walk in a state of rebellion. We don't have to be taught that. We learn it as children. We know what it's like to need repentance, to have that need to turn to God. We hunger for restoration, to be made right. That's why we say there's this God-shaped void that's within all of us. And some of us have been Christ followers for a long time, and we simply long for revival. That God would take that which feels dead in us and bring it alive. That God would take that which has darkened in us and turn it to light. That he would make things new. Truth is, this is an Old Testament depiction of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because all of us are born into this state of rebellion. All of us need repentance. All of us hunger for restoration. And all of us want revival. And so, in the first couple of verses, we see God's plan. And it's straightforward. Here it is. Get up. Get going and get after it. In fact, you could probably even say that with me. Say, get up. Get going and get after it. Let's say that again. Get up. Get going and get after it. All of us have had those times where God clearly spoke to us, either through his word, through a time of worship, through preaching or teaching, and we know what God wanted us to do, but we did not get up. We did not get going. We did not get after it. If you acknowledge that you either are there or have been there, then you're going to relate over the next several weeks to what we study in God's word in the book of Jonah. His plan was simple, but unfortunately, Jonah's problem was simple as well. We see that in verse 3. The first two words of verse 3 begin like this, but Jonah, we always get into trouble when we make it about us, but Jonah. So I got to thinking about that and how that looks in my life, and I I figured we can understand that too. So on the count of three, I want us to say that. But instead of saying, but Jonah, I want you just to insert your name. I'll do the same. One, two, three, but Paul. See, that's our problem. We do things our way, and that gets in the way of God's way and his plan. So I want to give you a big idea. We're going to talk about this big idea, unpack it a little bit from these first six verses, then I'm going to give it to you again, and then we'll pray. All right? 
The big idea is this. When God speaks his will into our lives we re- and we respond with disobedience, we enter into a state of rebellion and we invite consequences that will negatively affect us and everyone else in our little corner of the world. Do you get that? When God speaks his will into our lives and we respond with disobedience, what we're doing is entering into a state of rebellion. And as we are in that state of rebellion, we're literally inviting consequences into our life that not only negatively impact us, but they negatively impact everybody else in our little corner of the world. So think about these questions this morning. First, do you see God in, do you see God at work in and around you? Is he active So most of us here, we're gathered in a church, so just by definition, most of us here have come and and we're agreeing on this simple premise. Yeah, we believe God is real and he's working in this world. He's not an impersonal, distant deity, but he's, he's at work in this world. If you agree with that, then I want you to go to the second question, which is this. Is there anything God is asking you to say or do for your good and his glory? Is there anything that God has put on the agenda for your life that is left undone? Is there any box that has been made clear that's still unchecked? What about it? Maybe you can look back to another time in your life and God made it very clear. He was calling you, who knows, to go to missions. Or maybe you feel like there was a relationship God was calling you to step away from. Or maybe there was an act of obedience. Like Elaine, he was calling you to be baptized, and you not yet taken that step to be baptized. What is God calling you to do that's still undone? Or maybe just ask this question, the third question, what am I doing in response to the way that God is working around me? What am I doing about what God is saying? We're going to see how Jonah responded today, but all of us have to answer these questions. So I want to pray to that end right now. I want to pray that God gives us clarity, that he speaks, that we hear and respond. Father, in the name of Jesus, speak. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. We're going to read your word. It's perfect and true. We take it as fact without error. But we want it to speak into our lives. So open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts, and then transform us. As you call today, may we be obedient. And Lord, once more this morning, I pray that the words of my mouth and even the thoughts that I have in these next few minutes would be pleasing to you. For you're my strength and you're my redeemer. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the word of the Lord from Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. 
Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah, there's that phrase, rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. Say this phrase with me. Say, he paid the fare. Don't forget that. He paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah, there he is again, has gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God, and perhaps the God will give you a thought to us that we may not perish. I'm going to give you just a few words about this story before I give you the basic truth. This is a real story. This is not fiction. This is not parable. This is not analogy. Do you know how I know that? I know that because I believe the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus referred to this story. Listen to Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. If Jesus, knowing that the story of Jonah was just a parable or an analogy or that it was fiction, if he would have referred to that when trying to explain his death, burial, and resurrection, he would have, he would have taken away from the veracity of his case. Now, he certainly believed that the story of Jonah and the great fish was a real story because he knew that there was coming a day very soon where he would die on the cross for the punishment of the sin of mankind, that he would be buried in a borrowed tomb. And when he was buried, that the sins of the world would be buried with him. And he knew that three days later, he would arise and by his life would offer life to all who trusted in him. This is a real story. So I want you to look at it with that light over the next several weeks. Don't think about this as what it could have been. Think of what it is and what it does mean. But there's a second thing I want you to understand. Jonah was not a rookie prophet. He was not a newbie. In fact, though you may not have known it before today, we know of Jonah before we get to the book of Jonah. Listen to 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 23. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Naboth, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebaneth as far as the Sea of the Ottawa, that's the Dead Sea, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Helper. So not only was Jonah not a rookie, he was not a newbie, he had had ministry success. There had been a time in his life where God told him what to do, he did it, and he saw what happens when God tells you what to do and you do it. God blessed. Don't miss this. If you've got your pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, Crayola, and you're taking notes, or if you've got your phone out and your thumbs are busy at work, get this. When God tells you to do something and you respond with obedience, he blesses what you do. 
You can always count on that reality. Jonah knew this. He knew that God would be faithful. He knew that God would do what he said he would do. But for some reason, this time he responded differently. And that leads us to the first of three truths I want you to get. Here it is. When God asks us to do something and we fail to do it, our rebellious disobedience puts us at odds with him and leads us into dangerous territory. When God speaks his truth into our life and we thumb our nose or we close our ears and we don't do what he tells us to do, it's not like we can just say, I don't like that. I'm compartmentalizing. What we're actually doing is we're announcing that we are in a state of rebellion against the one true God. And like Jonah, when we do that, we are in practice saying that we're fleeing his presence. You, you can't live in active disobedience to God and act like you're expecting his presence in your life. Now, what was God asking Jonah to do before we're too hard on him? Well, he was asking him to go to Nineveh. It's one thing to prophesy in Israel to the leaders of Israel. That's what he had done and had success doing. That's not what God was asking him to do. It might have been another thing to stay in Israel and prophesy against Assyria, which is where Nineveh was. But that's not what God was asking him to do. He was asking him to cross the border and to go to Nineveh, where the Assyrians were. Now, who were the Assyrians? Let me just give you a little clue since you ask. The Assyrians were very bad people. They were evil. One of the things they were known to do is they would take those people that they didn't like, bury them up to their neck in the sand in the desert, take a stake and dove it through the tongue, Take a stake and drive it to their tongue and then leave them there for death. And Jonah knew that. Nineveh is modern day Iraq. Literally, the city of Mosul. What if God said to you, hey, pack your bags. I need you to go to Mosul. And join my missionary efforts. So before you're too hard on Jonah, kind of recognize this was a tough assignment. But he knew what God had done in the past. He knew that if he trusted God, God would be faithful. I want you to understand something. When we decide to follow God, everything else in our life becomes a consequence. So for some of you today... This is the day of your salvation. I really believe that. This is the day God has brought you to this place because he's choosing you to be his child. And somewhere in this, what we call the Holy Spirit of God is going to convict you. And you're going to recognize, I need Jesus. And you're going to cry out and say, yes, God. And when you begin that relationship with Jesus, everything in your future changes. Everything else becomes a consequence. I was born in Hartsville, South Carolina. I never intended to live in Temple Terrace, Florida. It was not in my plans. It was not on my agenda. But it's a result of a decision I made at seven, when I was seven years old in South Carolina. Because when I chose to follow Christ and give him the control of my life, everything else became a consequence. And Jonah knew that. He just didn't live by that. He was about to learn something we have to learn. 
Our comfort zones don't intimidate God. See, God was asking him to step outside of his comfort zone to do something he had never done. But you know what we people have in common? We don't like doing what we've never done. We don't like stepping outside of our comfort zone. So we like to say things like this. I just want to be in the center of God's will because that's the safest place I'd ever be. That sounds good for a bumper sticker, but it's not in Scripture. See, Scripture says sometimes God's will is that you go to Nineveh, and in Nineveh, they stick people in the desert up to their neck and drive stakes through their tongue. The center of God's will is not always safe, but it's always right. may not be comfortable, but it's always holy. God regularly calls us out of our zone of comfort so that we might get into the zone of his blessing, so that he might do what he wants to do in and through our lives. So with that in mind, I want you to, again, think about three questions. And if you're taking notes, you might even write an answer. This is not a turn-in test. You're doing this for your benefit, so nobody else has to see it. But what is God calling you to do? Is there something you know he's calling you to do that's outside of your comfort zone? There's no doubt in my mind with this many college students in this service that God is calling some of you to step out and surrender your life vocationally to serve him. And that may be in a setting like I'm serving in one of the existing churches in North America, or it may be going to one of these places that have yet to hear the good news of Jesus Christ because they don't even have God's word in their language. If that's what he's asking you to do, is your yes on the table. For others of you, it's just saying, hey, stick in this marriage that doesn't seem like it's working right now and give your best for God's glory because he wants to honor this. For others of you, it's saying give, it, give God glory in your work life or as a student so that you can be a witness for him. For others, he's telling you to cross the street to your neighbors or in the classroom to that other student or in the office to that coworker and be a witness. Let them see what God has done in your life. Say, I don't know how to do that. But welcome to the club. Maybe you just start by giving them a two-sentence recap of what God taught you at church. And if they seem receptive, say, hey, let me just tell you more about what God's doing in my life. But find ways to be obedient. Where's God calling you to go? Who's he calling you to make a difference with? You know why we don't do this? I'm, I'm really convinced that generally there are three reasons that we're not more obedient to God's call of living out our faith. I think we're afraid of being hurt. That goes back to our comfort. What happens? What if I get rejected? What if my feelings get hurt? Or we're, we don't want to be considered too holy. I, I, this is kind of new thought for me because I, I just don't think that way because I'm a pastor. But I realized I, I heard that recently. Well, I don't want them to think I'm trying to be holier than thou. But the third reason is sometimes we just don't think we know what to do. We don't know what to say. When God calls you to be a witness, he's not asking you to be a theologian, to teach seminary. All a witness does is testify to what you've seen and experienced. If God has transformed your life, just be willing to tell somebody, hey, I don't understand it all, but the God of the universe changed me. The last service, I, I had a chance to baptize little Dylan, Dylan Salmon. Dylan's a little boy. And when I prayed with he and his mom before we walked out in the baptistry, this is what I prayed. God, there's no way that Dylan fully understands all he needs to know about you at his young age. 
because I don't even understand it all now, and I'm getting older. But God, I pray that you take this moment where Dylan is and help it not to be looked back with doubt in the future. Help him to remember that all he needed at this moment was to step out in faith and trust you for what you did on the cross for his sins. And so maybe you're there, you don't have all the answers, and you just trust God with his mysteries, but you step out and say, God, use me. Now, why is this so important? Because is God communicating with you like he does Jonah? What do you think? Do you think God has a call for you just like he did Jonah? This means yes, class. This means no. Class participation, please. Of course he does. We already have. It's better because ours is written in your language. Listen to what it says in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. 